You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan, and I'm here with my co-host, Anthony. Howdy. And Rob. Hey. And guess what? We have some news this week. We are now, as of this episode, part of the Earth Station One network. It's a podcast network that's been around for, gosh, at least a decade and probably more than that. I'm sure it's been more than that. Um, and they have a whole host of, uh, of different kinds of shows on lots of different topics. And we're really thrilled to be a part of that. So everybody who's listening, I'm sure you already heard the bumper on the way in. And we were like, well, what is that all about? Well, this is what it's all about. We are now part of a podcast network. That's exciting. We've been signed. Exactly. <laughs> This is our major label moment. We're finally out of the garage. And in other news, I've got a little bit of uh, listener feedback that I thought I would share. A listener in Florida named Jessica uh, wrote to me and said that she had been working from home this week and used that opportunity to catch up on some of the past shows that we've done that she hadn't heard yet and had really been enjoying it. Her favorite episode so far is the Mount Rushmore episode. Oh, huh. Yeah, that was a fun one to do. It was a fun one to Mm -hmm. do. Maybe we'll do that again. Maybe we'll have to carve a second Mount Rushmore. So anyway, thanks, Jessica, for listening. And thanks for letting us know what you think. If anybody else is interested in getting in touch with us for any reason, you can email us at modernmusicology1, that's the number one, at gmail.com. Or you can leave a comment wherever you've found this podcast, whether it be Podbean or Facebook or any of the other platforms where good podcasts are found so gentlemen what have you been listening to this week anthony what's been on your rotation the new ghost album of course of course uh they released it to people who'd bought the tour edition on thursday it came out to the general public on friday and it's great it's um ghost albums are interesting because i always find they tend to be a little bit of a grower on me at the first listen i'm always like okay that's fun and catchy that's fun and catchy not sure about that track right Ooh, that's great yeah that one's okay and then after a few listens i'm like oh <laughs> so been giving that a lot of listens in addition to the tracks they had kind of already released hunter's moon um mm. Call Me a Little Sunshine and 20s. Griftwood is really, really great. That's been heavily on rotation for me. And then um, what was the other one I really enjoyed? Kaiserian is great and Spillways. Nice. Those have been the kind of standouts. And mm-hmm. then additionally, Arch Enemy, who are, I've mentioned before are a melodic death metal band fronted by a very attractive lady from Canada. Uh, but that's neither here nor there recently released a track called handshakes with hell that's been getting a lot of um plays and then of course still listening to a ton of sparks which is gonna just keep happening they're probably my band of the year (laughs) and did you spend any more time with marillion this week you know i did not 
Mm. I do not. It, it, it's there's going to come a day where I'm just going to feel like listening to it, and it's going to get very heavy rotation. Yeah, I think with Ghost coming um, out yeah. and then seeing Marillion in a few weeks. And buying tickets to Porcupine Tree. I've been listening to a lot of Porcupine Tree. Nice. Other bands have just been taking up space in my brain instead. Right. Um, right. I suspect once I've listened to the Ghost album a few more times and uh, and got the um, Sparks show out of the way, I will find some some airtime for Marillion. <laughs> Rob, what you been listening to this week? Well, this will surprise Anthony, but uh, Sparks. What? What? Uh, because I am seeing him a couple days before he is, um, and I'm very excited. And um, by all accounts, the first round of shows have been really great, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, also, uh, I'm seeing Nick Cave next week. Right. So uh, Nick, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, not the comic book artist Warren Ellis, but Warren Ellis who used to who was in the Bad Seeds, uh, <laughs> and they made a record last year called Carnage. That is, uh, it's really heavily sad and. Uh, and moody, but it's it's wonderfully written, and the songs are great. So I've been listening to that. Um, kind of pivoting off of the show that uh, Anthony hosted last week, I uh, dug out the Brian Eno before and after Sciences, and uh, I've been listening to that a lot just because I'm like, you know, I haven't heard this in a while. Um, and then new wise, uh, there's a new Franz Ferdinand best of called Hits to the Head. It's got two new tracks on it. And, you know, some of the later singles they've done, I kind of haven't heard all of. I mean, I, I was so busy mm -hmm. listening to the albums, I just kind of forgot, oh, yeah, this is a single. But it's interesting to hear all their singles progress um, in order. And they have two new tracks on it. The new one's called Curious. Uh, that's their new one. Um, also, uh, Red Pants from San Francisco, uh, When We Were Dancing. If you like really fuzzy, textured guitar, droney stuff, uh, that. And then... Um, couple other fun things. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, there's a band called Scaramanga 6. Um, they have a song, an album called Worthless Music. It alternates between like, it's heavy alternative, but not like super heavy. It's like indie music with way more guitars than you normally hear in an indie music record, which is pretty, pretty great and refreshing. And then um, also because I'm old um, and also because of one of the documentaries I'm going to recommend tonight, um, or I've been listening to the Orange Juice catalog. Um which is mm. which has been a fun dose of, of interesting stuff. There's a box set called Coles to Newcastle. It's pretty much everything. But I had not heard the BBC sessions and some of the demo stuff, and uh, that's just been been really great. So, okay. So, Rob, on on the Franz Ferdinand note, um, I never heard that album, Right Thoughts, uh, Right Thoughts, Right Words, Right Action. But the album they did before that one, which I think was Tonight. Yeah, was fantastic. the The lead track off of that, "Lucid Dreams," I, I just yeah, adore and that. that's on the new record. Uh, yep. And then they did they did a really cool, like weird dub reggae version of that record too, which was cool. How cool! <laughs> yeah, that was cool. They had a bunch of people mix them as like dub tracks. It was very strange and weird. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. How How about you, Alan? What have you been listening to? Well, this week I finally got an opportunity to spend a little quality time with the new Tears for Fears album. Nice. which i'm really liking it's mm -hmm. very very good but it's really mellow there's one so, track that, that i've been playing on the radio that's a little more up tempo but yeah, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty you know it's it's really good though i mean it's 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 a really well-made record um i'm really really enjoyed it but i have to listen to it at certain times like i was 
listening to it a lot at work and I just need to take it in doses because, you know, I can't get that lethargic while I'm working. Yeah. Um, but good record. Good record. I recommend it. I don't know that it'll like stick in, you know, in my head the way that, you know, the classic albums are, are still stuck in my head. But, you know, good album. My, uh, I think my standout tracks are um, My Demons and Rivers of Mercy, both fantastic songs. And the whole album is great. And it's just good to hear them again doing what they do, you know? Yeah. I know with that, Stephen Wilson, who did the 5.1 and Dolby Atmos mix for it, um, went on to say, went on record as saying that he thinks it's up there with their very best. Yeah. But, you know, he was involved in making it. So he would say that. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a little break here to promote another ESO podcast show. We will be right back in about 30 seconds. Helm report. Sir, there's Klingons on the starboard bow. Starboard bow? Starboard bow. What are they doing there? They seem to be waiting for the new episode of Earth Station Trek. Science, what do we know about this Earth Station Trek? It's a podcast that tracks through the history of Star Trek, from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. Navigation, how would one find such a podcast? By setting coordinates for EarthStationTrek.com or by doing a sensor sweep of Spotify, iTunes, or any other quadrant where fine podcasts are available. Captain, what are we going to do about the Klingons? We come in peace, Commander. Weapon station, shoot to kill. Shoot, shoot to, to kill. kill! Shoot to kill! Hey, welcome back. We're glad you're here. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, tonight, we are taking a deep dive into the world of music documentaries. And one of the things that I know I've done in the pandemic outside of reading books about music was just absorbing a ton of music documentaries. There were so many uh, in the last two or three years. And again, we're kind of seeing a bounce from, from the David Bowie effect. There were three really great David Bowie documentaries over the years. And kind of since those came out, there's been a resurgence in people being interested in music documentaries. And then Summer of Soul came out this year and people are interested in that kind of music and doing documentaries. And it's just really interesting to talk about them. There's so many across the board. So that's what we're doing tonight. It's all about documentaries. And I guess we'll start with Alan because you're the uh, head bottle washer here. Um, what do you think makes a good documentary? That's a very good question. And I, I hope that what I say isn't like the same thing that you guys are going to say about it. But there's, I kind of think of it in two ways. If it's a documentary about a subject matter that I know a lot about, like if it's a favored band or something like that, I want to learn something new. I want to learn something that I've never heard before or hear an artist say something that I'd never heard them say before and get a new insight into their process or a time of life that inspired a certain thing. Uh, other than that, if it's a, a new subject matter, you know, like somebody I'm not really familiar with, I just want to learn. I just want to get exposed to who they are, what they do, and gain an appreciation for them that I might not have had before. I think I'm pretty similar. Um, I think what's really important to me is that it it's holistic, right? So it's not just covering the good times. It's not just covering the hits. Yeah. In a documentary, I want something that's warts and all. I want to hear about the struggles that the band had, be it with periods where they weren't popular or periods where individual band members struggled with demons because to me that is what makes the artist what they are today so you're yeah. not getting the whole picture if they're just putting a gloss on it so i want something very very honest yeah in a music just like documentary. just like we were talking about with books pull yeah. no punches 
Exactly. Tell me the tell me the real deal. And pivoting off of what Anthony said, one of the things that I want in a music documentary is I don't necessarily want the artist who is the subject of it to be involved in making it. Right. Um, <laughs> and again, and um, this is the part where Anthony will hide under the table and cry. But um, Rattle and Hum by U2, one of the things that's infuriating about it is that they made it. And it's so obvious that it's self-gratification, right? Um, I want a documentary that's like, like you guys mentioned, it's objective and you learn things. But I also want it to, you know, teach me something new, like you said. But I also want it to go into like sort of who their influences were or where they might be going. Because one of the great things about a music documentary is when you hear their influence by someone, you will go when you stop watching and then go listen to someone else. And that's, that's a really cool sense of discovery. So I do want a sense of discovery with it. And um, I want to be able to learn something either or. Totally. Yeah. Now, why do you guys think people make documentaries about bands? Because it's a lot of work, just like writing a book about your favorite artist. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of clearances. But why do you think a filmmaker goes to the trouble? You know, obviously with the Sparks documentary, it was just like a thing that was in Edgar Wright's head that had to come out. Right. But other than that, like, why do you think people get so excited and they do it? I think fundamentally, I mean, and maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on Edgar Wright here and applying him to everyone else. But I think it has to be a labor of love. Yeah, I mean, for, for whatever reason, whether it's that the director is in love with the band or the director hears the story and thinks, oh, that would make a really good movie. There's there's something there that sparked the director's interest enough to actually spend the time putting this damn thing together. Sparks his interest. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> or the other thing is uh, the band is paying for it. <laughs> right. <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> I mean, someone's got to fund it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, too, that the the other thing, too, is that I want the person to make it to be like passionate about it rather than it be like. Hey, we need a director to do that. We like this film. So we're going to ask him to do it. I would rather have it be that because I think organically you learn something more that way. Right. I agree. I think it's exactly the same as if you are going to devote two years of your life to write a book about somebody, or if you go into being, you know, a member of a tribute band for somebody, it's that you have a love of a subject matter that you want. It's not just expressing it. It's sharing it with other people. You know, there's a there's sort of a communication involved Mm -hmm. that you have something about whatever it is. If it's a if it's an artist or a band or whatever that you want people to discover along with you. So I'm going to I'm going to compare and contrast here. I love, for example, and you may have heard this, Alan. I love the Sparks documentary, the Sparks Brothers that came out last year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I also loved a couple of years ago that George Harrison documentary that came out, right? Mm-hmm. They are both completely different in terms of length. Um, would you rather have a short form narrative or would you rather have like the longer narrative where it's a series or does it matter? You know, that's a good question because I guess it depends on the subject matter. Um, there is a documentary series uh, by a, ga- a guy called Sam Nunn called Headbangers Journey, which is about the evolution of the metal scene. And every episode sort of deals with a different 
genre of metal. Mm-hmm. And man, it is so good. So if you have a topic that's that broad, without a doubt, you can't do it in a two hour movie. I think you have to have a series, a longer form to do it in. And certainly when you're talking about the Beatles get back, um, you had the opportunity to see something in a longer form. You feel like you are there in the room with them when things are happening. And so I think that there are times when a longer form is absolutely, Mm -hmm. you know, necessary. And I think too, that get back accomplished what it's set out to do and that it sort of changed our opinion of the modern music documentary now, because I think everyone that comes after it, is going to be a little different in that it's like you're in the room now, right? You're seeing songs be formulated right there that, that, that like you have known your whole life, most of us, right? right. And what you're is- like, wait a minute, this is the first time they're playing Get Back, right? You know, um, so I think that in many ways, Get Back kind of raised the bar. So did the Sparks movie and Summer of Soul. I think all three of those sort of raised the bar of what we're going to expect going forward in documentaries. What- yeah, exactly. And it's so interesting when you're talking about Get Back that you you always think of a documentary being built on talking heads, you know, and there there wasn't. It was all like existing footage and it wasn't like a, an interview piece. It's yeah. really great. Yeah. And the amount of love and care and just sheer um, diligence to the to the source material. Yeah. You know, that thing is encyclopedic, but it doesn't feel like it. And I think that's yeah. sort of the the hallmark of a great documentary is that it spans an entire career. Or if it's like the David Bowie five years series, mm-hmm. it, it, it lets you know right off the bat, we're doing these five years. This is the beginning. This is the end. And I sort of like those kind of things rather than trying to encompass a band in two hours or an artist, because it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. Um, yeah. And there's a real skill to it. And I think that a yep. lot of people just sort of did it and forgot how to do it. And then now we're kind of discovering this again. Well, an interesting example of what you're talking about that uh, is, is one that kind of came, I think it came out this past year. There was a documentary about uh, Alanis Morissette, basically the, the the early part of her career leading up to the release and the huge success that she had around Jagged Little Pill. And that first monster tour that she that she took around the world and it's an interesting documentary in itself because it really chronicles that whole year that they toured on that album and it it talks to all the band members like taylor hawkins from the foo fighters he went on to do the foo fighters after he toured the world with alanis and uh you know they had a lot a ton of interviews of course with alanis and you know, she told all these stories about how the band, um, you know, you really used. She felt used by them because they used their status as her band, her bandmates to get girls, you know, and that's so what she's against, you know, like the victimization of women and all this kind of stuff. And that they all partied and did drugs and stuff without her, you know, and then they all left to do other projects. And she's like, but we're a family. We're supposed to stay together. And the interesting thing is that she has now come out and and, and said, uh, this was produced by HBO, that she does not stand behind this film. She will not support it. She will not promote it because she feels that it was very skewed, that it was taken out of context, that it was 
uh, they were telling a story that she was not intending to tell and that they had not made an agreement to tell. So it's, it's it, I mean, what did she think was going to happen when she sat down to do interviews for a documentary? Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, she's saying that it's not as detailed and nuanced as, uh, you know, this story should be and could be. And I'm like, you were what, 25, maybe when you, how are you, how do you think a story of 25 years of your life is supposed to get told in a two hour movie? So she's, I don't know. I just, I, I feel really weird about, you know, so well, I think it, she's wanting something longer and more detailed and more, you know, flourished, but I don't know that the story warrants that. I don't know. I just, it's a weird situation. It sounds like she almost wants that a bit more sanitized as well. That's very possible. And uh, again, this segues into my next question. How do you think that the idea, I guess, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the way to phrase it, but I guess the best way to call it is sort of cancel culture is going to affect this now because the idea of, you know, any documentary on Led Zeppelin you make is going to have to involve women and going to hotels and things like that. Right. For example. Right. Well, I mean, that's every rock band. Yeah. But I'm just yeah. using them specifically. The one, sure. I know, one I know of where it's a long gate, where it's a, you know, a documented history. Is this going to get sanitized to where like, you know, things like drug use or any of that where people are going to freak out about it or not? I hope they don't. And I haven't seen it happen much yet. But it's be- interesting to see how people are sort of reacting to different things because there are people that will go into a documentary and they'll see that uh, they'll see the stuff going on and they'll just be like, oh, my God, I'm shocked. You know, um, like, OK, well, that's dumb, first of all. Yeah. If they go into any rock and roll documentary and don't expect to see certain things, then that's yeah. on them. Yeah. I mean, I really don't want a documentary to be a hagiography. Again, yeah. warts and all. Let's yeah. keep in the drugs. Let's keep in the womanizing. I want to know what these people were really like, because mm-hmm. I truly believe anyone who is a genius has some kind of significant character flaw. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. There's no person who's a genius who is perfect in the way they behave in their life. Right. Or, you know, it might be behavior, it might be mental health, but they all have some kind of flaw to them that offsets their genius. And I want to know what that is. I want to know. Yeah. You know, Led Zeppelin came out and they did a whole lot of love. They did Stairway to Heaven, but there was all this drug use, this womanizing and and so on. Like don't skirt around that because then you're just mm-hmm. not telling the truth and you're being a shitty historian. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but the problem is now is that filmmakers get people lamp out and even artists are just like, people are all over them now over social media and stuff. So like the immediacy of music documentaries is interesting. And I think the delivery systems for them too, before it'd be like a document, you know, concert for Bangladesh, you had to go to a theater to see it. You couldn't yeah. stream it. And I think yeah. now that a documentary comes out like so quickly and the spread of mouth, word of mouth comes out that the shock factor is, is I think a little more, um, a little more volatile. It's a little more interesting because I know people that saw the Go-Go's documentary, for example, that were just shocked. I say shocked that there was drug use in the Go-Go's. I think anyone who goes into one of these and doesn't expect I, that yeah. is candidly extremely naive yeah. and exactly. could do with a wake up call. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, there was that, uh, of course, you know, Behind the Music, which was the documentary series that VH1 did for so many years. And such a good series. But, you know, every you can cut like every one of them has that 
midpoint where it's like everything has gone to hell because of the drug use and you know your their lives are falling apart and everything and that was certainly an element of the go-go's episode because that's what happened they had that absolute meltdown where you had that night where belinda just goes off the rails and it's not a secret you know, and I don't care how wholesome you think someone is. And that was part of what they struggled with, that they had this wholesome image, but they were these rowdy party girls and they were living a life that wasn't the way that their record label was marketing them. But see, I, I love learning stuff like that, though. I right. Mean, right. There's artists you don't think about that do that, you know. Right. Um, I'll bet you Taylor Swift is the biggest fucking drug head on the planet. <laughs> I'm kidding. She probably isn't. She is probably the exception. <laughs> I might to want say. to cut that so we don't get sued for slander. Yeah. Hey, if Taylor Swift ever hears this, I'll consider us a success. <laughs> but Taylor Swift might also be the one person that's impervious to all of it, too, because she's got yeah. Teflon all over. Um, so I guess we can jump into right away, because I have a feeling this is going to be really long anyway. What are the documentaries that we like? And what's the stuff that we've been watching lately that we're thrilled about? Well, there have been two documentaries in particular in the last year that I've really, really enjoyed. One of which I've already spoken about at length, <laughs> which is the Sparks Brothers, which gets brought up right now on this podcast about once an episode, if not right. more, um, <laughs> because it is just such a great documentary. Mm -hmm. Again, yeah. it's the the just sheer size of the cast and the people they got on there to talk about them is right. extremely impressive. Right. The other one that I really enjoyed and I wasn't expecting to like it was um, the Bee Gees with uh, yes. How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, which yeah. was on, I, I'm not sure whether it was made by HBO or just released by HBO, but um, that I, I'll freely admit that is a music documentary that I shed a tear while watching. Um, it was so poignant and just hearing about their lives and, you know, their struggles and the first breakup in the late 60s and then everything they went through um, through to their successes and then offsetting that with the heartbreak of Andy dying and then mm. later on... Spoilers. <laughs> wow. Don't get me started, Rob. <laughs> Don't get me started on spoilers for something that happened 40 fucking years ago. I know. Um, but you know, right through to the very end when Morris dies and then Robin dies and it's just Barry left and you yeah. can't help but feel for him. It really tugs at the heartstrings. You, when wow. you watch him talk too, you can feel the weight on it too. You can tell that this is a thing he carries around, right? Well, he, he even says that he would trade all of the hits for more mm -hmm. time with his brothers. That yeah. is so oh, touching. Yeah. Um, that's heartbreaking. So for me, that's... That is by far one of the best music mm. documentaries I've ever seen. And it does a lot of really great things, and it does all the things you want in a great documentary. You get the info on the band, how they became famous. You learn a lot about who they were before Saturday Night Fever and that whole thing. And then yeah. you get, you know, you get the backstory, you get the intimate moments of them as a family, you get archived interviews with everyone in the band, and then you get the the whole story you get a beginning and a middle and you get an end and on top of that it's also emotionally just gut-wrenching and but it's also informative so for those reasons i think that's also an incredibly great choice the other thing 
I would highlight as a much older documentary, but I think really is a high watermark for me is the Beatles anthology. Oh yeah. To to the point about needing to do something a bit more long form. Yeah. You know, that was an eight episode documentary covering their, I guess their, um, what was it like seven, eight years of their career, nine Mm -hmm. years. And it it was fantastic. I mean, the fact that something so good was released in 96 and still 95, 96 and still stands up today. Mm. To me, that says that says a lot. One of my favorites is uh, it's a thing called 20 Feet from Stardom. Oh, I was just going to talk about that. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, it's great. I got I got a whole on this. Go ahead. Uh, it's about backup singers. And man, is it a fantastic film. And it really kind of talks about the struggle of gaining success as a backup singer. And you have to be a super talent in order to do this. And that struggle of remaining a backup singer, trying to go solo, solo, not working. And, you know, there were so many great stories in it. Um, There's this group called the Waters family, which uh, I wasn't really familiar with by name. But uh, they sort of like in conversation just listed some of the, you know, just a few of the little projects they've been involved in that are so incredibly varied. Like they they sang on the Thriller album and they sang on the soundtrack of the Avatar movie and they sang the Growing Pains song and uh, they were on Donna Summer's Bad Girls album and they they said the, the vocals for the Lion King. I mean. I was just blown away by it. But the story that really, really got me was Darlene Love, who is one of the greatest singers of all time. And she, in her early part of her career, she and the group that she was with were under contract with Phil Spector for years. And they were basically studio musicians. They came in and they did vocals for whomever was, you know, they were hired to do. And there they would record whole records like singles that would come out under other groups names so the crystals are on tour and the new crystals single comes out the crystals have never actually heard the song because it's darlene love and her girls who are doing the song and it's it's mind-boggling that phil specker phil specter just kind of dictum like this (laughs) she finally got i mean not that that's a surprise or anything because it's phil specter but she finally gets out of her contract with Phil and, uh, you know, does some freelance stuff for a while. Then she signs a contract with Gamble and Huff, who are one of the big production uh, groups in the 80s, 80s or late 70s, 80s. And uh, she's like, OK, this is a new chapter of my career. They sell her contract to Phil Spector. <laughs> so she's working with this guy again. And she's like. I'm not doing it. I'm walking away. And she walks away. She leaves the business. She struggles. She can't make ends meet. She can't get gigs. She uh, sends her kids to live with her parents because she can't support them. She's taking any job she can take. She's working as a house cleaner. And she does this for a few years. And she's like, she tells a story about how she's cleaning this lady's house. And it's Christmas time. And, uh, you know, she's like scrubbing the toilet and the lady who she's working for is listening to the radio in the other room and her Christmas song 
baby, please come home comes on the radio. And she has this wake up moment of like, what am I doing? This is not what I'm supposed to be doing, you know? And she gets back out there and she works at it and has this whole second career. And oh my, I just, I was just blown away by that. That whole movie was incredible. I highly recommend it to anybody who wants to see a great, great film. Piggybacking off of that, there's another similar one called The Wrecking Crew uh, mm -hmm. from 2008, which has all the succession guys you know, yeah. that played on all these really great records. Although I don't think that one is emotionally... Um, yeah, It doesn't resonate. It's a different movie. Right. But if you want a lot of backstage sort of, this is this is how we made this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I've, uh, outside of 20 Feet from Stardom, I, I've rediscovered a couple things in the in the last couple of weeks. Um, the first is the excellent PBS series, Soundbreaking, um, mm. which they did a whole series and everyone's got a different focus on a different aspect of music. And it's very broad rather than, uh, I've done all these sort of narrow ones for so long that I sort of have been going broad lately. So I did that. And then um, I've rewatched Ken Burns Jazz and Ken Burns Country Music. Oh, yeah. Right? And what's great is like, you know, what I know about jazz is from a record, working in a record store, just hearing it kind of by symbiosis, right? That thing, it, you learn so much about jazz and subsequently spinning off into like blues and other things is incredible. But then you get the country music one, which I had no idea I would love that as much. Um, and I knew very little going in, you know, and that yeah. was, that was just pretty, pretty darn incredible. The other one um, that I, that I've liked, and this is going to kind of freak everybody out. This is sort of one of my pandemic high water marks is I, I heard about this um, through social media and it just kept spreading and there were clips and stuff. And then finally I was able to watch it. The documentary by this really just weirdly popular band from the eighties called bros um, or bros. And it's called Bros After the Screaming Stops. And it is just oddly great. I mean, they're, they're two brothers. They make records. One of them is just happy in the world to be playing in front of people and loves what he does. And the other one has this, like, really bizarre narcissist complex that he's not aware he has. And it's just, it's a, it, it ends up being this incredible expose on, like, fame and you know materialism and sort of what it does to you when you're famous and you're not anymore and you know even these i, I think alan you alluded to this earlier even these documentaries on on things that you're like i have no idea what this is or why i'm gonna like it but i gotta see it it's that type of it's that type of one mm -hmm. and, it, and it's really interesting and then i've been watching a thing called um new scottish dreams uh it's streaming on youtube now but it's a whole documentary of like Scottish pop music, post-punk, and that whole, that whole, and it covers everything from Orange Juice through like Simple Minds and Aztec Camera and all this, and it's really, really cool. Um, so I do recommend that as well. Finish well, the other, the other wild card I was going to throw in was in 2008, I saw the Pavarotti documentary, which I knew nothing about Pavarotti, but man, that thing was incredible. Just learning the weird, bizarre world of professional opera singers. It's just Mm. And Pavarotti's so bigger than life, um, but that was really interesting too. So, mm. I have one other recommendation that I forgot to bring up first time round, and that is the documentary about 
Mark IV of Deep Purple. Um, in some territories, ah. it was, I believe it was released as Phoenix Rising. In others, mm -hmm. it was released as Getting Tighter. But if you want a true warts and all documentary, that completely covers the spiraling drug use of Glenn Hughes and Tommy Bolin. It talks about absolutely disastrous concert experiences in places like Jakarta, where they will nearly get thrown in prison for political reasons. Um, and then ultimately the disintegration of the band due to the disastrous nature of the tour. And they are all completely honest about it. They're completely honest about their demons. It's an amazing documentary that is just so blunt and brutally honest. And hmm. some of their stories contradict because some of them were high off their faces when it was all happening the first time around, but um, none of them pull any of their punches. It's That's cool. really, really interesting to watch. That's cool. That's definitely one that I would want to see. Yeah, and the, the Velvet Underground documentary from last year is kind of like that. You know, you're like, you are emotionally invested in that thing by the end of it, and you're not really sure how, but like just there's so much in it that you feel like you're living in that world. And I think that to a certain extent, you have to do a little bit of world building with a good documentary. You have yeah, to sort of yeah. set the atmosphere and the tone in that as well, which I think right. is super important. You know, you were talking about the one um, in Scotland, and that made me think of another one that's very like place centric. And it's called Athens, Georgia, Inside Out. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's a it's kind of a poorly produced, <laughs> very cheap looking film. Well, at the um, time, yeah. It, yeah. But it's but it's so fascinating because it it talks about, you know, you always think of REM and the B-52s and stuff like that, but it goes into Pylon and Love Tractor and this band I've never heard of called the Barbecue Killers. They're this hardcore punk band and they're amazing. But it talks about, you know, the poets who were coming out at that time too and Howard Finster, the outsider artist. Uh, and I, I, it just builds such a an understanding of that whole culture that was surrounding Athens at the time. I thought it was amazing. It's been a while since I've seen it. I, I need to revisit that again. Yeah, I think it's 35 this year. I think. Is it really? That I think so. A, yeah, they reissued, they reissued the album last year. And I think there's, yeah. a, there's a reissue of the, of the actual film. Oh, my gosh. I only... I didn't know about it. I had discovered it maybe four years ago yeah. at a half price books. I was just combing through the the music DVDs as I do every time I visit and found this. And I thought, well, shit, this is something that I want to see. And I bought it. And so yeah. I didn't, I had no idea uh, like how old it was or anything. Yeah. yeah. And when it, when it came out, it was cool. Cause there weren't, there wasn't a lot of documentaries about indie music coming out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, IRS had like secret policeman's other ball and they had that and some other stuff, but like, a really well done documentary at that time was like awesome to have just because nobody's really been doing one. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it was it was great. It was it was so, and you know there's another one too that I've not seen yet and I don't even know the name of it and it only just popped into my head but apparently there used to be I live in Doraville, Georgia and uh, it's like a you know like a sidebar from Atlanta and there used to be a record studio here in Doraville, where all the major Southern rock bands recorded and somebody made a documentary about it. And I've got to find this documentary because I got to see my, you know, current hometown represented in the music industry. Like this is, this is like going to be totally eye opening for me. And I'm, I'm really excited to learn some stuff. That's pretty cool.
That's yeah. actually really, really, really cool. I mean, I know I'm like, I mean, Dorville's not very big, so I've got to be like around the block from wherever this, this studio was. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I am like, got to find out more about this. I'm so fascinated by it. You know, you had mentioned um, Athens, Georgia, Inside mm -hmm. Out, and that made me pivot to what if it's the social club, which when that came out, yeah, really was incredible. Um, I, I didn't I didn't really pay attention to the politics of it. I was just like, all these people are finally getting a voice, right? Yeah. And I love a documentary where like somebody that's never gotten their due from obscurity is rescued from it. Like all these amazing musicians in Cuba that have never been exposed to the West, right? Yeah. Sort of gets there. And that thing is 20, 20 years old and it sounds amazing right. still today. It looks amazing too. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of similar to what you were talking about as well with, with Athens, Georgia. It made me think of that, but I love that one too. And incidentally, Alan, you talking about Athens, Georgia and that, and talking about the cultural aspect made me think mm. of the cult classic that is heavy metal parking lot. <laughs> yeah, which if you've never seen is fantastic it's it an eye opener awesome. it's only 17 minutes long and really gets into the culture of the whole genre it's it's i i don't even have words to describe it go check it out i wouldn't even have thought of that i'm so glad you mentioned that <sighs> it's, oh, it's amazing i forgot all about yeah. that no i completely forgot about that wow and the thing is, too, is there's a ton of like, it doesn't matter what you like. There's tons of stuff out there. Now there's been a renaissance in hip hop documentaries. So there's a ton of that coming out now, which is great. And Summer of Soul and the Sly and the Family Stone one that Questlove's doing next. Oh, that's yeah. finally exposing that yeah. whole time in music. I mean, right. And that sort of gets into, you know, things like Summer of Soul, things like Woodstock. Is this a concert film? Is it a documentary? Where do you draw the line between the mm -hmm. two? Yeah, and that was sort of one of the things I wanted to bring up. I'm okay with if they do a little of each and they cut it back. Yeah, and yeah, forth. yeah. That's yeah. what I. That's what I. I prefer. Um, and Summer of Soul, like although it's heavily a music concert, it is yeah. kind of a documentary as well because it, you, it very much is. Very much is. Yeah, I think it does an amazing job of capturing the 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 social aspect of the time that it takes place. Yeah, it, it brings that world into what's happening in that one park, and it's amazing. And I think it has to do that in order to yeah. really resonate. It, it gives a, a really excellent greater context. Yeah, to me, if there are talking heads or any kind of analysis over it, it's a documentary. If it's purely the concert, it's right. then a concert mm -hmm. film. Yeah. Right. So Agreed. I think of something like the Rolling Stones Rock and Roll Circus yes. as a concert film. Right. Right. Yeah. And as much as, you know, Concert for Bangladesh or Budokan want to be documentaries, they're kind of more <laughs> concerts. Yeah, totally. Totally. They don't contextualize the times in the same way that Summer of Soul does. Mm -hmm. Right. Which I think is important. And I think that's an interesting delineation to make, too, because a lot of times they're like, oh, the exciting new documentary about, you know, this. And it's just like it's a concert film. Well, mm -hmm. and that's, you know, and the reason I was thinking about that is because we have mentioned Summer of Soul a few times on this show, not this yeah. episode, but on previous episodes. Yeah. And, you know, we're doing documentaries this this show. We were planning on doing, you know, concert films later on, which means we can talk about Summer of Soul yet again, unless we make some kind of delineation. <laughs> well, it can, because it fits on both things. Exactly, and again, it does. And I, I think, too, that when the inevitable... Um, bingo card comes out for our podcast right that the sparks movie and summer of soul and heart will all be on it um 
And Bowie. Don't forget Bowie. And Porcupine um, Tree. Yeah, those will all be right. on there. We've mentioned it a couple of times, the Sparks documentary. So we got to talk about it because it's so good. <laughs> I mean, if yeah. you want if you want a comprehensive history of a of a group and everything that influences every change that they made and they they had a lot of stylistic changes throughout mm -hmm. their career and it's fascinating to watch and the, you know they're we're going to do whatever we want and we don't give a shit if you like it or not attitude it's it's a great film and it's kind of long it's two hours and 21 minutes but holy shit is it good well, I yeah. think what's so interesting about it is we already talked about how difficult it is to condense an entire career into a movie. Exactly. And this is one of the very few instances, I think, where it's actually done really well. And they've done 25 albums. I mean, that is a <laughs> long career. And there are a couple of albums that they kind of gloss over a little bit. But, yeah, you know, they, they hit the key points. Right. Um, and I think the albums are kind of ancillary to the themes of their career, right? So it, it takes right. more of a thematic approach. It talks about the glam era, then the the synthy electro era, then mm -hmm. the kind of operatic stuff that they did with Lil Beethoven and um, yep. Hello Young Lovers, and then onto what they're doing now, which is whatever the fuck they feel like doing because they're fucking sparks. Exactly. Um, taking that approach as opposed to going okay this was everything that was great about um angst in my pants it, it touches on it but it's not a deep dive but it's it gives mm -hmm. you just enough to go oh mm -hmm. i want to go listen to that right exactly um, it, it it reflects more on i think on not only them but the industry and the changes in the industry and how they responded to the changes in the industry i think it's fascinating yeah, yeah. and the other the other cool thing and i before i we should also mention too that if you want to learn more about the sparks documentary maybe you're not there yet right if you go to our facebook page anthony mm. did a review of it and you can read that and then you'll kind of that'll help prep you if you're still on the fence about it uh, or if you just want to learn more or read a review of it um, we should mention that the thing I really loved about it is that you didn't necessarily have to be a fan of sparks to like them. Oh, absolutely you know? not. Which I, a lot I of totally documentaries, agree. a lot of documentaries can't do that. It's really tricky. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, if you're not a fan of the band, you're not going to see it. This thing got a huge word of mouth outside yeah. the gate of like, Hey, you may not know who this band is. You may not necessarily like their music, but everybody you like is influenced by them. And the way that they presented it, was really cool and once they said that as a marketing trick that like well your favorite artist is influenced by these guys man that was a hook right i mean that, what better what a great hook for for a film not even the, your favorite certain... band's favorite band yeah. yeah i went into it kind of knowing some of their hits but not a lot more i'd heard ffs because i really like franz ferdinand mm -hmm. and then i knew this town ain't big enough for the both of us yeah number one in heaven when do I get to sing my way? And that was about it. And then watching through it, I was like, oh, well, that's really good. I'm going to go check that album out. Oh, I'm going to go check that one out. And the next thing I know, I'm buying Hello Young Lovers on vinyl, which, <laughs> you know, it definitely is one of those ones that, that draws you into the band. And even if you think that you don't like Sparks, the chances are they've done something in their catalog that you will like. And, and they're nice. Which is oh, great. they're just I lovely mean, guys. Yeah. And you still, 
even though you get this huge palette of the career, you still feel like you don't know everything about them. They still retain a huge sense of mystery after this, which is really incredible for a documentary. Um, yeah. You know, I love the little bit at the end where they say, we felt that this has taken a few, uh, a few of the mysteries away. So here are some totally true facts about us and then just come out with the most ridiculous shit. Right. <laughs> I thought that was just, that was so funny. You know, and it, it's, it's details like, when they have a, a talking head on and they they put the, the name of the person and then underneath they caption where you would know that person from. And it's different every time that person's on the screen. And the first time, and it's like, you know, Todd Rundgren, you know, Utopia producer, blah, blah, blah. And then this guy who was a drummer in the band. And then for Beck, it says, it says Beck. And then underneath it says, see above. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like it when um, David Kendrick the drummer was interviewed because of course, if, you know, he started out in a different band and they poached the band. So right. initially it was, you know, whatever the band's <laughs> name was drummer. And then they just change it Cross to box drummer. Right. I love that. And so it's that everything about that was so clever. I thought. And Alan, there is a connection in that to your other podcast, earth station Trek, in that documentary. Were you aware of that? Um, <laughs> uh, apparently not I, I may have missed this so christy hayden who was their drummer in the early to mid 90s i think early 90s to mid 2000s right right was an extra on star trek the next generation what mm -hmm. holy cow mm -hmm. all right i gotta look into this yeah she's, uh, she's seen know. on the bridge a couple of times i think in season six wow okay that's fascinating. Tying awesome. all these ESO shows together, man. Yeah, yep. it's, it's, it's like it's one big network. Yeah, what? <laughs> What's up with that? Yeah. So <laughs> wrapping up, what do you guys want to see in a docu documentary that you haven't yet? Or who do you want to see a documentary mm -hmm. on? Or what that you haven't seen yet? I would really like to see a Watson all documentary about Judas Priest. Agreed. Wow, I can't believe there hasn't been one. Yeah, that's really Yeah, hard. totally. I, I mean, I think they're probably going to wait until a few more of the band members have died, but they've had such a wild career. I mean, like Sparks, their career spans 50 years at this point, and yeah. there have been some wild times. Um, you know, Rob Halford recently wrote an autobiography, but one very famous anecdote he tells is during the Turbo Tour, and they were all coked out of their minds. His He gets in a fight with his boyfriend, and he gets into the limo. The boyfriend knocks on the window. He rolls it down. And the, his boyfriend says, I just want you to know that I love you very much. Walks away and shoots himself. Like mm, loads yeah. of wild stories like that. Um, I think there's a very long story to tell about the rock and roll lifestyle, the invention of the heavy metal style, right yeah. through till the last 10 years when there was a big falling out in the band and KK Downing left in a strop i i think to have so many things that go really sideways and yet they kept going there's one hell of a story to be told there right and i think it can tie into whenever they get inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame absolutely <laughs> if that were to ever happen which i still believe it will i feel like this year is their year so somebody better get on that documentary and start making it all right <laughs> so i've got one um it's a it's a music festival from years ago that a concert film uh, was released at the time. Uh, 
but I want to see a documentary about the making of it. So uh, we've got the Woodstock documentary, which is phenomenal. And it's one of my favorite films I've ever seen. Um, there has been both the Live Aid concert film, but there was also a documentary that the BBC put together about the making of. And there's another one from, it, it happened twice. It was in 82 and 83, the Us Festival which was founded by Steve Wozniak, who was the co-founder of Apple Computers. He was filthy rich. He was a smart guy, really in tune with the culture at the time and had a buttload of money. And, you know, the the 80s were, we were coming into the 80s, which was getting the, the bad rap of being the me generation, the selfish generation. And he wanted to do something to totally reinvent that. And so he wanted to create the Us Festival, and uh, it happened in, as I said, 82 and 83, uh, multi-day festival. Each day had a theme and incredible performances and incredible lineup of acts. And he lost money both times, even though it was an enormous success as far as like the amount of people that came to it and stuff, he lost money. So I would really love to see some of the behind the stuff on how that happened and how it got put together. And working with some of the artists. And I mean, he put some amazing, amazing talent. So I, I really want to know more about how that came about. I am excited about a couple things. I'm excited about, I was trying to look up when it was coming out, but Sly and the Family Stone documentary yeah. is coming out. And um, I knew very little about them outside of their records. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited that uh, that he's doing, the Questlove's doing that. And I'm excited about Simon Reynolds' Rip It Up and Start Again. The book on the history of post-punk is getting done as a documentary. So that sort of mm -hmm. takes two off my table. But I really want I, I really want one about Kate Bush. I want a really interesting oh, one yeah. where they talk about people that are in the studio and people that know her. It's just because she's so enigmatic and the persona is so private that I would I would really get a lot out of that. And um, I think that'd be really interesting. See, I don't want that. Because she is so private and she is so mysterious mm -hmm. and I don't want that veil ripped away. So what I think is, um, you know, there was that biopic that came out uh, maybe a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago called Starman or Stardust. It's the one <sighs> that they made about Bowie where they wow. did not get permission from the estate to yeah. use any of the music, um, which was fine. You can still tell a story about the origin of who Bowie is or became you know, a musician, but they didn't do that. They, they told the story of how he became Ziggy Stardust without use of the music, which was stupid. And it wasn't a good movie anyway. Um, and Bowie's son, Duncan, who is a filmmaker himself, of course. And he suggested that if Neil Gaiman wrote sort of like a, 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 a fantasy, a fictionalized account of Bowie's life, and it were animated by the guy who did into the spider verse, which was this weird trippy thing, then he would, he would like sign off of that immediately. No questions asked. And both of those folks, he tagged them both and they both responded with, you know what, we should do that. And who knows, it may happen at one time, but I would love to see that kind of approach done about Kate. Mm -hmm. You know, mm. I, I want to see, I want the mystery to be retained and I don't want her privacy invaded or anything like that. But yeah, I want to see something done, but I think it has to be something very stylized because, see, or, or it won't be, it won't match the Kate aesthetic. Cause seeing the, the sparse documentary, 
made me believe that you can do a documentary without talking about someone's private lives. Oh, yeah, you can, really. certainly. And certainly. I, so I think, you know, the caveat for the Kate Bush one, of course, is that they don't really dig into that. Yeah. But just in terms, too, of the amount of people that she's influenced, I think that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, and likewise, too, because she's just such a prolific person outside of a performer. I want a Dolly Parton documentary. I want a really good. I agreed. Agreed. It could just, it could be six or seven hours. It'd be compelling because there's just so many layers there. Yeah, there so is. many things. And I think that would be interesting, too. Yes. I thought of another one I'd like to see, and that would be Parliament Funkadelic. Yes! yes! A Dude. full documentary. It might have to be a series, given how prolific George Clinton has been, but... It also could be animated. Yeah. I, they, I mean, that seems very like been a pretty crazy uh, ride with them over the years, oh my so gosh. I would love to see that. That's a great idea. I'm 100% yeah. behind that one. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see Neil Gaiman do that one, too. <laughs> So, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, I think that, yeah, like bands like those are so prolific. Like Funkadelic is just like, when you stop and you think, wait a minute, there hasn't been one, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's hugely important. I mean, at some point we'll get a public enemy one, you know. Or oh, we'll that get, would be great. Yeah, mm -hmm. I want a really good public enemy one um, while we still have the principles, you know. Mm -hmm. um, you know. I, I, I was going to mention earlier, you were talking about hip hop uh, documentaries and there was a really good one that came on this past year. There's a new series. I think it's called Queens and it's about um, it's about female rappers and stuff fictionalized. But they uh, I think it's an ABC series. They led into it with a documentary about the rap scene from its origin till now and the women who have been involved in hip hop as performers. And it was dynamite oh yeah. my god i was i loved it and i don't know if it's available commercially i don't think it's streaming i don't know uh but i would love to see it again and i would love for it to be available for more people to see i thought it was brilliant i do have a <laughs> shout out for for what i think was a terrible documentary if i may that was my next question oh yeah. please yeah that was leading into my next one go ahead the uh scream for me sarajevo documentary that was done of bruce dickinson's show in war-torn bosnia oh my gosh the idea behind it solid incorporation of concert footage solid but the documentary itself felt really poorly cut really badly edited and just ended up being incredibly jarring and for me that's mm. there was a good documentary in there it just wasn't done well and I'd rather see, you know, a documentary that paints a bad story than one that mm -hmm. I know there's a good story there and it's just yeah. done really shortly. Yeah. So that's yeah. my uh, that's my nomination for the modern musicology documentary Hall of Shame. There you go. The one to avoid. <laughs> the, the the one that really left me wanting was the it's Biggie and Tupac, and mm. I wanted a documentary on both of them that didn't necessarily sensationalize the feud or the east coast west coast thing i really wanted it to be about who each person was and it does a job of like this is who he is this is who he is right and why stuff but it just it couldn't stay away from sort of the tmz aspect of it you know did he or didn't he or you know it doesn't get into it, it could have been so much more in terms of contexting where they are in, in the pantheon of contemporary hip-hop and rap and I, I just wanted that to be be more. It's still good. It just it could have been much better. 
Yeah. There was one of the, there was a Bowie one. I can't remember what it was called. Is it Bowie on Bowie? I can't remember, but it was one of the most shoddy productions I've ever seen. Like no sound mix between any of the clips and it's edited poorly. And it just looks like it's thrown together by a fucking amateur and it's <laughs> terrible. And it actually had some great information in it. I learned a lot of stuff from the clips of from Angie that they included in it, but it was just so poorly made. Just terrible. So that's my. So wrapping it up on a terrible note, that's yeah. uh, our look at music documentaries. Go see some. There are some amazing ones out there. Alan, what do we have coming up uh, next week and where can we find you? Next week, we are going to be talking about the greatest opening tracks ever and why. So any any album that has a, a, an amazing opening track, we're going to be delving into it. Um, and I can be found at, as you heard earlier in the episode, uh, Earth Station Trek. We can be found at a Facebook group, our Twitter account, and wherever fine podcasts are released, like Spotify and Apple and iHeartRadio and all those places. So go check us out. And tell your friends. And tell your friends. Anthony, and how about you? You can find me on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, which is not part of the ESO network. I feel like I should make a disclaimer there. We are watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. We have just kicked off uh, season 10. So we've just done the three Doctors, which was a lot of fun. And you can find us in all the same places. You can find Earth Station Trek being Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, etc., etc., or even possibly wherever you're listening to this show on. We're probably there as well. Probably so. And you can also find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at, at Watchers4D. Rob, where can we find you? You can find me at uh, KDHX at www.kdhx.org. Uh, all shows are streamed online for two weeks. So if you are listening to one of these fine gentlemen's podcasts and it's a Wednesday, you can just listen to it later for two weeks. All the shows are archived. And then uh, also needcoffee.com on the Weekend Justice podcast and um, writing for them as well. All right. So we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the ESO Network. We are out of here and we will see you soon. Everybody take care. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.